Rebecca Mays here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. I want to acknowledge that this program was recorded on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and that their sovereignty has never been ceded. This episode of Stick Together was produced on Jaja Run Country and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. It is brought to you on your local community radio station thanks to the Community Broadcasting Foundation. This week, I spoke to Casey Duncan, a community projects officer with the Gippsland Trades and Labor Council, about her work supporting disadvantaged people entering the workforce. Then you'll hear part of a conversation I had with Dave Fox, an AMWU organizer working out of Bendigo Trades Hall. Dave shares his views on the state of the movement and where to from here. But first, some union news. <laughs> On July 9th, a new COVID-19 case was confirmed at the Chemist Warehouse Distribution Centre in Somerton, Melbourne. The worker and only five of their colleagues have gone into isolation despite the possibility of up to 100 staff who worked the same shift having come into contact with the confirmed case. Chemist Warehouse Management wanted to continue business as usual. However, after workers found out about the case, many have rightfully refused to work until Chemist Warehouse prioritises their safety. In response, the company has demanded workers use their own entitlements, forcing casual workers and workers with low entitlements to choose between financially supporting their family or putting their health at risk. Despite United Workers Union's request, Chemist Warehouse only provided limited details of the thoroughness of a clean that took place before they expected staff to continue working. According to Energy News, the granting of a protected action ballot order from the Fair Work Commission this week would allow members of the Offshore Alliance, a coalition between the Maritime Union of Australia and the Australian Workers' Union, to vote on whether or not to take drastic strike action across five offshore platforms, including Shell's Prelude FLNG Wrestle. It comes as negotiations between Sodexo and Union Sour after the two came to a principal agreement for a new enterprise bargaining agreement, which then collapsed. Shell's Prelude FLNG vessel is currently not producing or shipping LNG. The giant floating LNG facility only came online last year but has been plagued by technical problems for months. Shell took the decision to shut the vessel down in February this year, standing down half of its crew. Jadestone Energy had a meeting with its offshore workers asking them to take a 10% pay cut to their annual salaries. The pay cuts to Australian workers proposed by Jadestone are not a move to temporarily cut costs. They will be permanent and see take-home pay slashed by $18,000 per year for many workers. Unions condemned Jadestone's cuts and labelled them a disgrace given the company had posted a huge profit just a quarter ago. The Australian Manufacturing Workers' Union, or AMWU, will be fighting for workers' entitlement to 10 days' personal leave in the High Court this week as Mondelez and the Australian Government argue to cut that entitlement for shift workers. Decisions in both the Fair Work Commission and the Federal Court recognise shift workers' entitlement to 10 days paid personal leave as calculated by their normal hours of work, acknowledging that any other calculation would shortchange them. The 12-hour days worked by Cadbury employees entitles them to 120 hours of paid personal leave per year. Mandela's, which owns Cadbury, argued that workers should only receive 76 hours of personal leave under the NES, based on 10 days of 7.6 hours work each. 
The government has supported Mondelez in the Fair Work Commission, the Federal Court and now the High Court, with Attorney General Christian Porter already indicating that the government may seek to legislate reform if the High Court decides in favour of shift workers. The ABC reported this week that Victorian healthcare workers are yet again appealing for more urgent action to boost supplies of personal protective equipment as the number of coronavirus cases in hospitals and aged care facilities continues to climb. On Thursday, the Department of Health and Human Services named six aged care facilities where workers tested positive for the virus. The unrelenting rise in cases of the virus in Victoria has led the state government to recommend everyone in the state wear a mask when they are unable to remain 1.5 metres away from others. While Premier Daniel Andrews said the government would order 2 million reusable masks for community distribution and boost local manufacturing capabilities, many healthcare workers are concerned a surge in demand for masks will result in bigger shortages than they are already experiencing. A survey of 500 healthcare workers across Australia by law firm Slater & Gordon found half were experiencing shortages of PPE, making them stressed and anxious. Slater & Gordon Group leader Andrea Keogh said in some circumstances only low-quality masks are available to aged care and disability workers who did not have much of a choice unless they source PPE themselves. The Health Workers Union in Victoria has been lobbying the state government for four months to get hold of masks, gloves, eye masks and coveralls for its hospital, pathology, disability and aged care staff. It has left the union wondering where the 30 million masks secured by the federal government in April have ended up. Last Tuesday, July 7th, the Communications Electrical and Plumbing Union, or CEPU, celebrated a massive win off the back of an incredible campaign effort by members across the country. Just ahead of the Senate's inquiry hearing into Australia Post's regulatory changes, Australia Post and the CEPU entered into agreements after the most significant attack on their jobs and take-home pay in recent history, changes which would have impacted on the jobs of thousands of postal workers, not just posties, but also those supporting the transportation, processing and sorting of mail product. Members were also being forced to the bargaining table to negotiate an EBA which would be subjected to the federal government's COVID-19 public sector wage freeze policy. Since that time, CEPU members, their friends and their families undertook a disciplined campaign, calling talkback radio and local television stations, sending tens of thousands of emails to MPs and senators, along with making hundreds of telephone calls to their offices, calling on them to stand up for the postal workers who have stood up for Australians throughout the pandemic. The major hardware retailer Bunnings has uncovered a fresh bout of underpayments across its store network, with around 1,600 casual workers underpaid a total of $65,000 in overtime over the past seven years. According to a letter, in mid-June, some current and former casual employees were notified about a payroll were notified about a payroll error relating to the calculation of overtime. Casual employees at Bunnings are entitled to overtime when working more than 38 hours in a single week. However, the company's payroll system did not count certain hours worked as contributing to that maximum limit. The error specifically applied to any overtime hours worked between 11pm and 5am, dating as far back as September 2013, and any overtime hours worked by casuals on a Saturday, dating back to July 2018. Former and current casual staff were affected by the error, with total payments including interest 
amounting to $65,000. On average, each employee was underpaid $41. Bunnings HR Director Jackie Coombs noted the payment amount was relatively small due to the low chance of casual team members working more than 38 hours per week. The quantum of underpayment is far less than Bunnings' $6.1 million underpayment bill revealed last November, which it also pinned on an error in the company's payroll system. Affected workers were told to provide the retailer with their bank details to receive payment, which will include interest. All current Bunnings employees have been repaid. It is understood some former workers are yet to be paid. Workers at Victoria's largest abattoir, JBS, in Melbourne's western suburb of Brooklyn, may be stood down without pay after the company was ordered to close its doors. Four workers tested positive for COVID-19 on Sunday, bringing the total to five. Workers at JBS have continued to work at a back-breaking pace to keep up with panic buying, even during the worst of the pandemic, and in return, the company needs to ensure all workers are paid during the site closure, which has been brought about through no fault of their own. The United Workers' Union wrote to the company on Sunday 12th of July, calling on them to share the mega-profits their workers made by paying all workers' pandemic leave for the duration of shutdown and prioritise the safety of their workforce with a thorough deep clean, immediate notification of further cases and special training for worker representatives. If JBS does not agree to these demands, they will jeopardise not only the health of their workforce, but the food supply chain in Victoria, potentially leading to meat shortages across the state. UWU Director of Logistics Matt Toner said, We don't want JBS to join the long list of bad companies that have only cared about their bank balance and not the welfare of their workers or the general public. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. week we're focusing on regional Victoria. I had a chat with Casey Duncan, a community projects officer with the Gippsland Trades and Labour Council, about her work training and supporting disadvantaged people entering the workforce in eastern Victoria. So I'm Casey Duncan, I'm the community projects officer with the Gippsland Trades and Labour Council. Um, uh, my sole focus is community groups, uh, finding gaps in those community groups and Uh, trying to, uh, I suppose, fill the gaps either with other services, so linking services together, um, or, you know, finding ways to tailor employment uh, training and uh, jobs, essentially, for people who might have disadvantages finding work. So um, my biggest focus is generally in that cold community with multicultural workers um, and also in post-release so dealing with people who have criminal records who have just been released from prison who don't have I suppose the opportunities that some others do so they're sort of two big points that I deal with specifically um, and yeah I do sort of help out in the disability and mental health sectors as well so when I talked to Steve, um, he mentioned that you were doing some work with workers from Hazelwood. Yeah, yeah. 
No, well, with the Hazelwood uh, workers, so John, our peer support officer, was actually yeah. a Hazelwood worker himself. So all the guys know him. So he's been really integral to help them, whether it's um, with emotional support or job support, you know, like yeah. he always had that open door policy. Um, the, the blokes would just walk in and go, hey, John, how are you going? And they'll mm. sit there for, you know, 40 minutes and chat and then they'll get down to the, you know, do you need, these tickets updated, um, mm. you know, the shuts are down, you know, shuts are going on in these areas. Um, yeah, so it, it's all come down to, like, John being a worker in Hazelwood has really helped him, I think, make those connections with the guys that were working with him. Like, that peer support has been the biggest thing. Um, and I think with a just transition, that's, that's a huge thing too, is that um, they need that peer support when they've been in a certain work environment for such a long time you don't want to just go to some job active and meet you know joe blow that you don't even know <laughs> um, yep yeah. i've been there <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so mm. for for the guys i think having john there as their as their support officer essentially and has been really integral the amount of people who have got back into employment or found new links to employment just yeah. from the knowledge of you know having the unions as the base of a trades and labor council it kind of gives us that i suppose upper edge when it comes to finding employment or just general direction on where you know where you can move to and, yeah and so what knowledge. what are the kinds of jobs that people are moving into um, generally, at the moment, wind farms aren't really haven't really popped up yet. So no, yeah, I I can imagine that these things would take time, and they don't just <laughs> they don't just happen yeah. overnight. So- yeah. Most of most of the guys who were working at Hazelwood generally are going like there was a large number that probably retired as well because okay. they were older. Yeah. Um, but you've got ones that are now doing the shuts out of out at like Yalon, Loyang, that sort of thing. Um, and they generally just keep in touch with either us or unions to know when that those shuts are happening. Um, uh, so shuts like they actually shut down a certain section of the power station yeah. and do like hard maintenance. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So usually we'll go for I think they're usually like six to eight weeks or something. Um yeah, so a lot of it's they're still going into casual work, um, mm. but you know, there's not a lot with the casualization of workforce. There's not a lot of full time employment in the area, so no. you know, it's taking what they can. Um, Do you think those jobs will be there in the long run? Probably not. Um, yeah. My specialty certainly is in the power industry, so <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, like you know, it just depends on like when your lawn decide they're going to shut down and then mm. we'll still have Loyang A and B. Um, yeah. But yeah, obviously those jobs won't be, won't be there forever. Um, yeah. And it would be that there would be equally important jobs that are going to give us some power generation for yeah. Victoria essentially. Um, mm. Yeah. But I suppose it just depends on those projects and when, if they get off the ground, mm. um, but we do try as the Trades and Labor Council to be sort of involved as much as we can in new projects so that we, we do sort of get a rough idea of what's coming in the future. Um, yeah. I know that Gippsland isn't just the power industry. There's so many yeah. other things going on there. So can you tell me, like you said, you were working with community groups. We got funding to help um, the like post-release prisoners 
the post-release pathways is for Latrobe as a whole, or Gippsland as a whole. Um, and we have had people from, um, I think it's Morwell, all the way through to Druin um, yeah. participating in that. It has had to be put a hold on with COVID. Yeah. Um, been able to deliver some of the stuff so we've we've just suspended it at this point in time and continue when it's safe to do so um but the idea behind that was you know we actually talked to um the corrections officers we talked to some people who had been you know struggling to get positions of work after spending time you know in prison essentially or getting any sort of mark on the criminal record people still knock people back uh, for jobs yeah. and it's you know there's a really, there's some really good people, and that the the guys that are in the in the group of people have got really really great, really want to get into work, but have just had barriers and like things have come out as we worked with them just before COVID happened. You know mm. that um, they discriminated against not even just for an employment, but you know for medical like they go to a doctor and if the doctor sees that their previous medical record is a criminal jail history essentially yeah. doctors will turn them away won't won't take appointments and it was just disgusting i was just yeah. horrified um so there's been a, i suppose yeah the biggest focus in that was the employment side but there was a bit of that advocacy to yeah. um you know finding out those big issues and seeing if there's a way that you know we can advocate um, especially with, you know, having union behind us is, yeah. you know, can we advocate? Is there a way that we can get their voices out there? Because, you know, like they've got goals yeah. and it's just finding ways to help them achieve those goals. So, yeah, yeah. I'm just very, very determined in that space. But, yeah, mm. COVID's kind of put it on hold. The federal government is funding that one. Um, so they've said that we can only deliver online at this point in time. And a lot of the tickets mm. the guys wanted to do, are like construction tickets so you, yeah. you can't go and do a forklift ticket um no. online that's not safe <laughs> stick, together. Stick, together. Yeah. stick together stick together yeah. stick together stick together stick together you're listening to stick together on community radio That was Casey Duncan talking about her work with the Gippsland Trades and Labour Council in her local community. Next up, you'll hear part of a conversation I had with Dave Fox, an AMWU organiser working out of Bendigo Trades Hall. Dave shares his views on the state of the movement and ideas about moving forward. I think the main thing is get back to that collective consciousness again instead of the rampant individualism that's been with us for the last 30, 35 years. Um, and it's not every man for himself is the old term on saying it's like we, can, we're, we actually have to, all of us to achieve, we have to actually collectively do, do things again. And I think that's the main thing. Um, I mean, people are alienated from their work, they're alienated from each other, just look how our cities are built. And, you know, houses have got a fence between them. Everyone's, it's, it's deliberately done to have us all alienated from each other, our social interactions with each other through production and even outside of, outside of work. And it's, it's quite phenomenal. And, and people are all thinking about their own little, within their own the four walls of their house. We don't, we're actually thinking we're all in this together and that way we can actually got to get back to helping each other out again and looking out for each other like we used to. Uh, and it was a deliberate breakdown of that collective consciousness 
uh, of the working class. It wasn't just overnight happening no. like that. It was an actual gradual thing. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people refer back to the 1980s, but it actually was probably even further on before that, you know, how to actually start breaking up. To think of actually us as working class again. And, and I think that's another big thing that's stopping everyone who might want to do things, fear. When they lose their jobs, they lose their homes, yeah. and they lose their families and everything else, yeah, etc. And, yeah. and that's it's what what a best way to have a compliant workforce. Yeah, you mortgage exactly. to the hilt. Yeah. You've got two kids to bring up. Yeah, yeah. You're consistently in debt, and that you won't yeah. speak up. Mm. Mm. I think we've got to step back to step one. We've got all these big things. And I think we've gone around the wrong way. Don't put the cart before the horse. Yeah. We need to actually get down what the bread and butter and what affects them. Of course, they're worried about their job, losing their jobs. Yeah. Of course, they're going to be worried about how they're going to pay the bills and how they're losing the house. They're going to be worried. And that's everyday thing. Yeah. Uh, what we've got to do is find out where they're at and then work yeah. from there on as well. It's going to take time. It is going to take longer to build. I mean, we're so far behind but, yeah. you know, on the eight ball at the moment. I look, I've, I've done the same mistake. That's sort of, let's not come in all guns blazing, yeah. you know, not, not shining not armour and all this. And yeah. people are going, what the hell? <laughs> and, uh, but also, too, the language we use. Yeah. Uh, it, I actually talked to this people. It was great because I'm involved in something at the moment. They want to build up, you know, peace and you know against imperialism and all that. But if I'm saying into a million workers and say yes, the dominance of U.S. imperialism, I mean, a lot of people go, "What the f- are you want about?" You know, it's just like, can we just get back to what affects us? Yeah, and I think, yeah, I get. That. That's where I think we've got to get back to. Um, we've got to get back to those basic things again and rebuild from there and build those relations. Build relations there, one-on-one of organising first to yes. develop their trust and build those relations. Yes. Uh, look, I've been to a workplace before, there's no union there, and I got told that off. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what have you ever done for us? I got yeah, abused. Yeah. And look, well, something must have happened years ago where they must have worked. I don't know, it could have been a boss of stooge as well, yeah, but yeah. there are plenty of them out there as yeah. well. But at the end of the day, it's like, right, well, what do we do now? And come, yeah. Coming back, we're going to be turned off and grumpy about it for the rest of our life. Yeah. Well, okay, what are we going to do to try and turn that around? And it's, it's a gradual thing. And, I, you know, I, and look, I know it can be disheartening at times. At times I've been involved in some struggles and it's been disheartening. I've expected higher of other people, but look, that's part of learning some powerful yeah. lessons. And look, I've made a lot of mistakes myself. I'm no saint. Yeah. How is COVID changing the situation, do you think? I think the main thing is the personal concerns is how they're going to make them ends meet. Yeah. And that's going to be the best way we need to start. How they're going to, and a lot of people are going to be thinking, yeah, how are we going to make ends meet? Mm-hmm. And, and no, I think that's where we've got a good starting point work on and from the ones that have already been forced onto being unemployed for a job seeker yeah. or even with this job keeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think as conditions go, well, a lot of people are going to come to their own conclusions as well. Let's see, as material conditions change, so does people's yeah. um, thinking, way yeah. of thinking in that as well. And I think, and I, I do believe, I do strongly believe, that even art people's minds will change. I think the whole system needs to be questioned. Mm. Uh, well, why is existence? Why do very few still in you know, everything? They're all right. They seem to fly in and everything. Yeah. I mean, uh, as Kerry Stakes is doing extremely well. Mm. You, know, he hasn't, you know, he hasn't lost anything. And so uh, I think, uh, I think we've got to put those questions, in, but help them to understand that further. Yeah. That's what we really need to do to understand it further. And that's the important thing. Not tell them, you know, we'll, yeah. not explain them, not shove them in their throats, otherwise it'll be rejected. We're not, yeah, we shouldn't be like that, but explain and understand those as well. And, but this is what we can do. We can start getting together. And I would actually strongly suggest what we do, how we organise it, maybe for a community assembly ourselves. Put the questionnaires out, put them out. How about we get together, all other like minded people, and let's talk about a plan of action.
yeah. uh, get a collected. We can get their ideas. People have got some great yeah. stuff that you know, comes out of out of nowhere. Yeah. You know, and just wow! I should have thought yeah. anything. I should have thought of that, but no, yeah. I, I don't. And, and we yeah. can, yeah, we can actually get that together. And I think it'd be a great way to start engaging people. So, how do we build that community trust? Look, we've uh, talked this a lot over with many people. Uh, years ago, people would speak out and they'd have the backup. Yeah. You know, people were about to lose their job, they'd have yeah. everyone out the gate. Mm. Yeah. You know, it was simple as that. Mm. Yeah. People did. But now we don't have that. And so people ask, you know, if they speak up, someone or the reform, I mean, or if they yeah. lose their job, who's going to stand with them? Yeah, yeah. Because that's an important question always to raise to everybody. Look, if they are touched, you're all going to stand with you. And I'm not just about token standing, yeah. I'm talking about everyone yeah. prepared to stick together. And the, uh, was, uh, when people say, oh, you're not going to get that, I'll say, well, there's your number one problem, yeah. straight away. They got, yeah. mm. So it's, how mm. to build that kind of... I think people will be pushed into a position to start doing that sooner yeah. or later. And I think it's got to build up. And it, look, it will, it will happen. It's just got to be, and it'll be a gradual thing. It's not going to be all of a sudden everyone instantaneous. Yeah. Suddenly everyone's out, you know. If you look at the history, remember people have been oppressed by, yeah. you know, workers, from even right back to slave times. It took them time, didn't they? And it took them time to actually stand together and revolt. And that's, it didn't, it just, well, it was a gradual change. Yeah. Well, what we call quantitative change to yeah. our qualitative. Yeah, it was all these other changes happened between. But it doesn't stop us at the moment trying to provide that education. And it's, look, it's not going to take one person, it's got to take us all collectively to go out there and talk yeah. to workers and to bring them in, bring them in the board. So hopefully, uh, yeah, it's. We've certainly got a long way to go. It's not going to be an overnight thing. It can be done. It's, it's, a, it's like a lot of work, a lot of experience, but I think we've got that. I think we've got golden opportunities now to do so, rather engaging with each other. And it's it, look, um, and if I want to listen to each other's ideas on things and we'll wait and move forward and do con- good, some good concrete stuff out there. I've got a big work, it was a big task to do. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'd love to see revolution in my time. Um, it might take a little too younger generations to push it that way, but uh, I certainly would love to, but I think at the end of the day, at least I can really do my bit to set part of the groundwork for it, you know, and, uh, for people to move on from there. That's it for Stick Together this week. Thanks to you for listening, and thanks to Casey Duncan and Dave Fox for taking the time to talk. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 9419 8377 and leaving us a message. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. I'm Rebecca Mays. Catch you next time.